Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 2, and I invite you to read along with me in your Bible or in your bulletin. Hear these words from Matthew, chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Oh. I was going to say you may be seated, but I forgot to ask you guys to stand. (laughs) Whoops. I can't use Andrew's excuse and say I just had a baby. Um, Well, we all, it's a joy to be here with you. Um, You may be wondering why the Christ candle is still here and why it's lit, and that's because this is technically the Christmas season in the church. It's not over yet. Despite the fact that some of us have put our decorations away, not me, but some of you who are more put together. Um, But today's scripture is an important one for us today. It's the first response to the events of Christmas night. And it speaks to who is in and who is out in God's kingdom, who's invited to be a part of this new thing that God is doing in the world through Jesus. That invitation extends a lot farther than we may think. We're a little after the birth of Jesus now. Matthew doesn't say this, but it's actually been about two years between Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. And you may have already packed away your nativity scenes, and you may be thinking, wait a minute, Connor, I saw those magi in my nativity scene plain as day. Are you trying to tell me that they didn't show up to the stable that night? And yes, that is what I'm telling you. I know, it's shocking. But they're included in our nativity scene so that we remember this part of the Christmas story. But they show up a couple years later. Joseph and Mary aren't at the stable anymore. They're in a house. And Jesus was climbing on the furniture, experimenting with what it looks like to throw objects across the room. And in two years, we can make some guesses as to what has happened. Mary and Joseph are adjusting to this new life with Jesus, and they're starting to put some roots down where they are. And the scuttlebutt around the neighborhood is that this baby isn't biologically Joseph's son, but he seems to love him anyway. And as a matter of fact, there was even a group of shepherds who claimed that they were visited by angels that declared this child to be the son of God. And these shepherds are running around telling everyone they know this child is from God. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who is going to save us all. 
Now, whether or not you believe those shepherds is up to you, but the word is out there. It's gotten out. There are rumors of a miraculous birth. Those who know the words of the prophets, well, they hear this and they believe. And there are others that say this is just another story and dismiss it and live their lives however they want. And then there are others who are curious about what this means for them. And two years later, we are also introduced to the villain of our Christmas story, King Herod. Now, if you don't know anything about King Herod, know that he held the title of King of Judea, which made him the king of the Jewish people. And there's a few things that we need to know that are important for the story. The first thing is that Herod was technically Jewish, but he followed Caesar a lot more closely than he followed God. He was appointed as a kind of puppet king over Jerusalem and Judea. He was in charge as long as he did exactly what the Roman Empire wanted. And if he veered off course or if things in Judea started to look a little shaky and dicey, the Roman Empire would send in soldiers and take him down and put in a new king instead. So Rome kind of tolerated him, and the Jewish people greatly, greatly disliked him. He was not a popular leader. The second thing we need to know about Herod is he was immensely paranoid. He grew up in a family that was all about power who played the game of thrones with parents and brothers and aunts and uncles that were all looking for the opportunity to stab one another in the back to be seated on the throne. He was raised to be alert and ruthless and untrusting because if he didn't live that way, he would get poison in his food or a knife in his back. And that leads to the final thing that we need to know about King Herod, and that is he did not like surprises. His main motivation was to maintain what he had, this precarious place of power between Rome and the Jewish people. And he did not respond well to any sudden threat to that power. That's what makes our scripture reading today so interesting, is the perfect storm ends up showing up on his doorstep. Now, as a paranoid man, Herod would have been prepared for a lot of different things. He would have been prepared for the possibility of a revolt of the people against him. He would have been prepared for a family member attacking his estate. He would have been prepared for an assassin coming in through his window. But what he was not prepared for was a large assembly of magi from another country showing up and knocking on the door. We sometimes take at face value that the magi were there because we've heard the Christmas story so many times. Of course, the magi are there and they have the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh, of course. But if you take a step back and look at it, it's really a wild curveball to this story, the fact that they're included. I mean, I want you to imagine the equivalent for a moment. If the Christmas story had taken place here in Georgia, it would be like if Jesus had been born in Moreland and a group of astrologers from Cuba knocked on Governor Kemp's office and asked if they could pay homage to the real leader of Georgia who had just been born because they saw it in the stars. It's a wild curveball to what's been going on. (laughs) And this wild curveball is the first evidence for the good news from this scripture reading today. And that good news is that God's invitation is out in the world and it doesn't fit the boxes that we expect. Already, God is inviting everyone to be a part of this body of Christ. These magi were far, far outside of the definition of who anyone thought would be included in God's story. They weren't a part of God's chosen people. They weren't Jewish. They had little to no knowledge of the law or the scripture or the prophets. And yet, they responded to God's invitation through what they did know, a star, 
a light in the darkness beckoning them towards something greater that they feel compelled to come and see and join and worship. Well, this really resonates with me a lot as a Methodist minister. One of the things that I love most about our church and our beliefs is the affirmation that God is inviting everyone all the time, everyone to be a part of the body. If you've been here for one of our communion Sundays, you know that we practice an open table. We believe anyone who's seeking Christ genuinely is welcome to come and receive. We also believe that God's invitation has reached everyone through God's provenient grace. Before we've done anything, God is already at work in our hearts, pulling us toward this relationship with him, convicting us when we fall to sin and calling us to deeper joy through loving God and loving our neighbors. This invitation has already reached everyone in this room. It's already reached everyone in Georgia. It's already reached everyone in the world. And back then, it reached the Magi. The people who, by everyone's understanding, were outside of who God called to be a part of the story. God is inviting everyone, and that is great. But if we affirm that God is calling everyone, then there's a more challenging side to this invitation, too. If we believe that everyone is invited to be a part of God's kingdom, then that means that God's invitation has also reached the ears and the hearts of those who are contemptible. The villains, who we have witnessed do so much harm and committed atrocities that seem unforgivable. God's invitation includes terrorists and murderers. It includes Nazi soldiers. It includes Caesar. God's invitation includes Pontius Pilate. It includes Judas. We have to acknowledge that if everyone receives this invitation from God for redemption and new life, then that invitation includes the worst of the worst. And the worst of the worst in our scripture reading today is King Herod. For those of you who don't know, after this scripture reading, if you keep reading in the passage, Herod orders the killing of all the firstborn, all the newborn sons under the age of two in Bethlehem. But in this moment, this hasn't happened yet. I'm engaging in some conjecture here, but if we use our imagination to enter King Herod's story in this moment, we have to believe that he hates the way that he's living his life. He lives in constant fear. He has no one that he can trust, no one that he loves. He is disliked by his subjects, tolerated by Roman authorities, and has very little integrity left to his name. He sleeps poorly at night. His life is full of evils and regrets. And so when the Magi arrive at his palace gates and ask about this new king of the Jews, Herod probably has two reactions. The first was a deep and chilling fear. Remember, he is a paranoid man. The news of a new king of the Jews will surely bring about riots in the kingdom. Rome will have Herod's head on a platter if the word gets out that he has done nothing. Herod feels like he has little choice. He has to ensure that this new threat to his power is put to death. But there's also a deeper part of him that senses an invitation to a different kind of living. What if this really was a new king, a Messiah? What if this king was going to change things? Now, Herod probably wasn't the praying type, but what if this news was the way out that he had been hoping for? A second chance at a life that wasn't full of fear and hatred and loneliness. J.R. Foresteros, who's a pastor and an author, asked this question in one of his sermons. What if Herod had accepted God's invitation in this moment? 
What if instead of hearing the Magi's news as a threat to his power, he saw their arrival as an invitation to change, a new life? What if on our nativity sets on our mantle, we saw an old haggard king kneeling at the foot of the manger in the stable? Well, with God, it is possible. That's the good news. As God's invitation is to everyone, God's redemption is possible for anyone. I have to admit that sometimes I have a very hard time accepting that. And for good reason. Some evils demand justice, and we want to know that justice is served. Some crimes deserve a life sentence, and some heinous actions will forever mar reputations. But we can never say that redemption is impossible. God's decision is to invite everyone toward that redemption. Whether they accept it or not is up to them, but that invitation is out there. There's a great story that I'm going to end with that comes from Jürgen Moltmann. And if you don't know who Jürgen Moltmann is, he's a big deal. He's one of the greatest contributors to Christian thought in the 20th century. He received six honorary doctorates from universities in six different countries around the world and served as a mentor to other great writers like Miroslav Volf. In short, he is a theological giant who has furthered the work of the body of Christ in countless ways. But there's a story that one day, this great figure who was known throughout the academic world was at a work event at his college and a young writer was talking to him about justice. Who is in and who is out in God's kingdom? And Jürgen Moltmann responded to this question with a story. He said, once there was a young man born in Germany who was drafted to fight for Germany in World War II, and he became a soldier for the Nazi regime. And one day in a battle, this Nazi soldier was captured by British soldiers and became a prisoner of war. This time, as a prisoner of war for him, was torturous. He was hated by these British soldiers. They constantly reminded him of the evils that the Nazis had done, and they hung photos of the atrocities committed in the concentration camps just outside of his cell so that he would always struggle and never forget. And the prisoner of war felt a deep, painful regret and shame at what he had been a part of, and he hated himself. For years, he was in this cell looking at those pictures, and he couldn't sleep. He skipped meals. He felt sick, and he often wished that his life would just end. But one day, a chaplain came and visited him in his cell and gave him a Bible. And in the Psalms in the Bible, he found language for lament and repentance, crying out to God in his suffering for forgiveness. And in the Gospels, he encountered Jesus, who died even for those who least deserved it, those who asked for his death on the cross, and asked God to forgive them. And then after two years that he was in this prison cell, he was moved to a Scottish prison. And there, a small church down the street intentionally ministered to these Nazi prisoners. They came and brought them meals and had Bible studies with them. And through their ministry and care, this POW became convinced that despite everything he had been a part of, there was still hope for him. God still had an invitation that he could accept. He became a Christian and started to take his faith very seriously. And eventually, when World War II ended, this German POW, the former Nazi, was released back to Germany, and he became a pastor and tried to lead others toward Christ during this time in Germany when everyone was trying to push under the rug and forget what had happened. He pushed the country to remember and call for repentance and to make sure this never happened again. 
Well, after Jürgen Moltmann had finished telling this story to the young writer, the young writer said, it's a very nice story, but I don't think the world works that way. And Jürgen Moltmann, this theological giant who has given so much to the body of Christ, responded by saying, oh, his story isn't over. That prisoner of war's name was Jürgen Moltmann. The good news for today is that no matter what boxes we create for who is in and who is out, God's invitation is for everyone. Pharisee and foreigner, shepherd and soldier, magi or murderer, Christ invites all to a new kind of kingdom. Let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for the ways that you have been at work this past year and the ways that you will continue to be at work. We give you thanks for the invitation that has touched our lives. Invitation to move away from brokenness and invitation to move away from those things that don't bring life. And we give you thanks for the abundant joy that comes from living in you. Continue to guide our steps, God, and give us hearts like your heart. Help us to see that your invitation is for everyone. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.